In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you have heard this message you're going to hear today, and some of you have not. But it really plays into what we're doing in our evangelism teaching that we heard brought forward from Father Andrew last week about the opportunities that will exist before us in the coming year. And I'm going to expand on that a little bit this morning. I'd be willing to bet that you probably have never seen a priest bring a Coke up to the uh, pulpit before, but uh, I forgot to bring my prop in ahead of time. So I'm going to start off by asking you, is there anyone in this room that doesn't know what this product is? Of course not. This is one of the most well-known products in the world. But how did this well-known product surpass its very humble beginnings? Well, its beginnings were humble. In its first year, in the year of 1886, 25 bottles were sold. Today, 10,000 are sold every second. Every second. In fact, if every drop of Coca-Cola ever produced were to be put into an 8-ounce bottle and laid end-to-end, -end, it would reach from here to the moon and back 2,200 times. That's remarkable. But what's even more remarkable, my friends, is in just over 130 years, 95% of the world's population has heard of this product. 80% of the world has seen it. And more than 75% of every human being on this earth today has tasted it. How did that happen? Well, it happened because the Coca-Cola company made a commitment. The Coke company made a commitment long ago that everyone on this planet would someday taste their product. That's pretty impressive. Friends, as Christians, we need to take notice of these facts. Almost 95% of the planet's entire population knows about this product, but 1.7 billion people around the world today still don't know the saving good news of Jesus Christ. That's astounding. When we hear these facts, we shouldn't hang our heads in shame but rather be challenged and motivated to a whole new level of commitment, a new level of commitment in your life to share your faith wherever the Lord has placed you. The words we heard Deacon John read a moment ago from Matthew 28, the Great Commission are familiar to everyone in this room. We know that Great Commission. And friends, when Jesus gave that great commission long ago, it was also given to you. Every disciple receives this commission and it has never changed and it never will. So I want to ask you this morning, how many people, give me a showing of hands, how many people in here have ever been on a mission trip? That's pretty good. How many people are going to go to work tomorrow? Man, we got a lot of retired people. <laughs> I'm joyfully jealous. <laughs> Let me ask you a question to get you all in. How many of you are breathing? <laughs> okay. If you're breathing, you have the same mission as every single person who is a believer today. So today, as we continue in this evangelism teaching, I want us to focus on the place that God has personally placed you to be most effective to serve him specifically the mission field that I'll call the workplace. 
You see, God has strategically placed you where he knows you can be the most effective in fulfilling the great commission that all of us have been called to. We heard St. Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, we are Christ's ambassadors. And God himself is making his appeal through every one of us. And friends, that's a pretty amazing fact just within itself. Because it puts a responsibility on each and every one of us. Today you're going to get inside glimpse of the mission field that I serve in daily as a bivocational priest, as a chief flight controller at American Airlines, and also as a chaplain among tens of thousands of employees at American Airlines and at DFW Airport every day, because that's where my church is, every day. And like many of you, I wear a lot of hats. The truth is, I only have one mission, and it's the very same mission that all of you have, my friends, and that is to serve and glorify God wherever he has placed you. The last 20 years, I've been carrying the gospel into the workplace, into American Airlines, into airports, boardrooms, and corporate offices, and it's the most rewarding thing I've ever experienced in ministry. Friends, airports, corporate offices, the Krogers, or wherever you may be working is where God has strategically placed you to work and serve him because it is a right mission field and it's one that you're qualified in because you're in it. That's all that's necessary. And I would think we could probably all agree that our workplaces are probably in need of some spiritual presence. Would you agree with that? I think we all could. And if you don't believe me, just answer these two questions. Would you describe your workplace as dark and in the need of the light of Christ? Probably so. Would you describe it as a spiritual wasteland that you rarely see God in or hear his name in unless it's in vain? Or would you describe it as a right mission field where you can serve him and glorify him? I may not know what each one of you do for a living, but I do know this. You were saved to serve. And if you call yourself a disciple, I know who your boss is and I know what your mission is and that is to serve and glorify God wherever he places you, and he placed you where you could be most effective. Let me share a little fact with you. By the time you reach retirement age, if you started working at 18, you will have spent 90,000 hours, 90,000 hours of your life at your job if you work to a normal retirement age. Three-quarters of your life we spent at your job, friends. So where do you have the most opportunity to serve God? in your workplace. And that's where you will have the greatest opportunity. According to a friend of mine, his name is Bill Peel. And Bill authored a really good book entitled Workplace Grace, Becoming a Spiritual Influence at Work, and I would commend it to you. You see, he says in his book, and I quote, the workplace is the best place to share our faith because the gospel can be seen before it's heard. Well, Bill didn't come up with that. St. Francis came up with that about 796 years ago, in fact. St. Francis of Assisi once was asked by a young monk if he could join him on a trip to preach in a nearby village. And the young monk was excited about it. He was going to get to be with the spiritual giant. And all day, he and Francis walked through the streets of the village, taking rubbing shoulders with everyone they met and encountered. And at the end of the day, as Francis and the monk were walking home, the young monk thought to himself, well, you know something? 
I never did hear St. Francis today ever address the crowd or even mention Jesus or the Gospels. He was disappointed. So he asked St. Francis, I thought we were going into the village to preach and share the good news. St. Francis responded, son, we did preach. We were preaching while we were walking. Our behavior was watched by everyone we saw. And he went on to say, a quote that we all probably have heard, or many of us have, preach the gospel at all times. Use words only when necessary. Folks, sadly, the church, which is you and me, has struggled with what it means to effectively share our faith and what it means to evangelize. In fact, the word evangelism has become a scary word for most. A practice that we see relegated to those who have been ordained or those who have been gifted with the gift of speech or those that have been called to be missionaries and sent overseas. But the truth is, it's really not hard to share the gospel or to share your faith. And let's face it, we're all sinners, saved by grace, and each one of us has a very unique story to share. The fact is, laity, and I know my brothers would agree with this, You've actually got a better opportunity to reach others in the workplace and in places where you're known than we do. You know those folks. So if you want to fulfill Jesus' command in the Great Commission to each one of you, and I assume you do, well, you wouldn't be here because it's not something we're asked to voluntarily do. We're commanded to do it. And if you want to do that, I want to share with you today just a few simple strategies that I have found to be effective over a long 20-year season of doing this in the workplace. Step one, first thing you must do is nurture relationships. Nurture relationships. You cannot expect to gain permission to talk about spiritual topics unless you're willing to invest your priceless time with those people in your workplace you want to bring to Christ. To effectively share your faith, you must deepen your relationship with those you work with and be willing to be transparent about your own spiritual journey. Relationships deepen. Others tend to be more open about hearing your personal story on how God transformed your life. And I've often used my own wilderness journey as a way to draw others into spiritual dialogue. And once you've opened up about your life, it's less threatening to them. I have found that transparency fosters transparency. Transparency will foster transparency. And it will create a new level of trust. When you're related and you're willing to reveal your own weaknesses, your own struggles, you can convey with all honesty that you've been there. And you may not have been exactly where they're at in the circumstance they're in, but you've been through something. And you may not have all the answers for them, but you know the guy that does because you know Jesus. Secondly, you must strive for excellence and integrity in your work. You must strive for excellence and integrity in your work. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as being done for the Lord. Folks, those are invaluable words for anyone who wants to be a workplace evangelist. It's critical. Especially anyone that wants to introduce their co-workers to the Lord. Before you can influence anyone, my friends, you must first earn their professional and their personal respect. People will not pay attention to you if you do sloppy work. So we have to work hard. 
We have to plan ahead. We must always do our homework. We must always do our homework. Folks, we have to strive for excellence and always be prepared and do our homework. While visiting a small town to preach, Billy Graham stopped one time to ask a young boy in the town how to get to the post office. After getting the directions, the greatest evangelist invited this young boy to come to his crusade that night. Graham said, oh, come join us. You can hear me tell people how to get to heaven. The little boy looked up and said, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> Friends, it pays to do your homework. Always strive for excellence in your work as if working for the Lord. And for heaven's sakes, if you're not committed to excellence in your work, do the rest of us a favor and never bring up your faith at work because you just make it harder for all of us to come in behind you after you've already started them off on a bad journey. Strive for excellence. It also requires us that we maintain a high level of personal integrity, and that's critical. It's not enough just to be good at your work. Your heart has to be good also, and they have to recognize that. Our integrity must be modeled in the workplace through everything we do, primarily through the fruits of the Spirit. And we all know what those are, right? We should be modeling love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here we go, self-control in the workplace. Friends, those things speak volumes about the trans transforming power of God's love within your heart as a believer. And they're critical if you're going to be a workplace missionary. If you can't handle the meltdown in your office any differently than anybody else, they're not going to look to you. You have to be that person. That transformation becomes visible in how we deal with success, failure, conflict, disappointment, and all the circumstances in our very complex work worlds. Truth is, the best sermon you'll ever hear is the one you see, and we know that. The way you treat people says more about your character than anything else about you. Friends, as true disciples, we have an obligation to treat all people with dignity and respect. Did you hear that? All people with dignity and respect. That attribute alone makes you stand out from the crowd, and it will pique people's interest. It'll pique the interest of your coworkers who don't yet know Jesus. Thirdly, you must commit to pray specifically and continually. You must pray specifically and continually. Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continually. Folks, as we all know, prayer is critical. It's critical in understanding how to reach others as well as gaining boldness and spiritual discernment for the task that you're stepping into. In God's divine sovereignty, he linked himself to our human cooperation. That still amazes me, but he did. And he has faithfully bound himself to the prayers of his disciples. God merges his work with our humble prayers, folks. St. Augustine once said, Without God, we cannot, but without us, God will not. Did you hear that? Without God, we cannot, but without us, 
That's you. God will not. It's dependent on you. Prayer is where the power is. Prayer is what undergirds and sustains everyone serving on the global mission field or in the mission field within your building or any other local mission field. Prayer, friends, is a persevering, preserving power that has kept civilization from total and complete despair. And it's also the only thing that can keep your workplace from complete and total despair. Never forget, folks, that the strongest weapon we have to bind the work of the enemy is fervent prayer and the fervent prayer of a committed team of workplace missionaries. So you need to surround yourself with them in your workplace. James 5.17 says, The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So we must always pray without ceasing. And we need to surround ourselves with a team if you're going to be in the mission field in the workplace. You need them to help you, and you need to be there to help them. And you must also direct your prayers specifically for your coworker and for their needs. Prayer, my friends, is what gives you the heart of God for his people in the place that he has put you. And by having God's heart for your coworkers, you begin to sense what their true needs are. I'm going to tell you something, and <laughs> Father Andrew will agree with this. You've got to come across the threshold of the church a lot of Sundays, oftentimes before we can find out how to best pray into your life and help you. When you work with somebody, you've got a fast track. You know all about them. You know what they think the world doesn't know, everybody knows. And you can effectively minister into that moment because you have that inside track. Prayer will help you access them. It will also help you in their situation. And not only see them through the situation, but through their own hurts and needs, whatever they might be. And it works the other way around, too. They help you. Lastly, you must seize the moment and make workplace evangelism a lifestyle. Once relationships are established, seize the opportunities around you. They're countless. These opportunities include praying for people. Sending a note or an encouraging email can have an incredible impact on somebody's day in their life. Or just offering a helping hand by providing the ministry of presence, which is priceless. You can carry it into your workplace every day. And it could mean just subtly sharing how your faith has helped you through a challenge. Be subtle. Hey, you know what, man, I, I'm praying for you. I know it's a tough situation. I don't know how I, I, I could get through it without prayer. That's enough said right there. You've already piqued your curiosity right there. could be asking if you could pray for them. Or just being there in a time of loss, pain, personal hardship. But always seek God's wisdom before choosing to speak into those situations. And I would not recommend going out and quoting scripture. In fact, that can push people away that don't really aren't where you're at yet. It's great in a room full of believers. But when someone that doesn't know the Lord comes up, they already feel like they're below you because they don't know what you're even talking about. So hold off on that. They'll give you an opportunity to bring scripture into the conversation. They'll let you know when they're ready for that. You can discern that through God's, through God's prompting, through the Holy Spirit. But don't go in charging with it. I've also discovered that times of crisis, like COVID, my friends, like COVID, because I was on the front line for the last two years in this, it's one of the greatest opportunities that's ever been given to the church and to you if you're still working in a COVID environment that I'm in. 
because you can provide something that many people don't have. And that's a way to see hope through this thing. Crises always provide us an opportunity to share our faith. When a tragedy or a difficulty strikes, you can usually offer simple encouragement, which then can start introductory discussion about your faith. Folks, the possibilities to effectively minister in your workplace are endless. They're endless. They're what I get up in the morning for every day. Sharing your faith in the workplace isn't hard to do. It starts by simply investing your time in others, by striving for excellence and integrity in your work, and by committing to prayer, and then stepping into it every day. It's not an option either. Like I said, this is a commandment. Be intentional. Be intentional. Make your workplace a place for evangelism. Make it a lifestyle. Opportunities to share your faith are always available. And it's our job in the church to equip you for that. That's why we're doing this study and doing this whole thing, to better equip you so you'll feel more comfortable with it. That's our job. But it's your job to then go into the world on Monday Whatever you do, you're going to go into the Kroger this week, and you're going to have an opportunity to share your faith. Look for it. Be intentional about it. It's out there. And friends, we must always remember never to give up or never think that our efforts are in vain. Satan wants us to believe that your efforts to witness into the world of your coworkers doesn't matter, but friends, that is the enemy whispering lies into your ear because you have a powerful way to change people's faith because you know them. Paul provides me, and this is one of my favorite verses. I think this is the most encouraging verse for anyone that ever wanted to step into this. It comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the 59th verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Folks, don't give up. Recommit today. Recommit tomorrow when you step into your work. Pray about it and commit to it. And when you do, walk in there confidently knowing that the Holy Spirit is with you to empower you, to propel you through the challenges in that workplace, to change that workplace, and to bring a presence of God there. Keep praying for your coworkers and boldly serving God in the midst of it. You're glorifying God, and you are sowing seeds of hope. May the Holy Spirit encourage, equip, and empower you to boldly embrace the countless opportunities that you have daily to share your faith in the workplace. Because when God shows up at work, it'll be through Christians like you who see the workplace as a unique opportunity to provide ministry to those people that he has placed you around. Friends, when God shows up at work, you and your workplace will never be the same. So keep showing up. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.